0: Well, we have now reached the moment where we get to hear the final exciting conclusion of Joseph's story. Uh, And as you might imagine, I'm going to go back just a little bit because uh, we, we can't lose track of the events that led us to this moment. And in fact, I'm a little irritated with the way that this particular reading was picked Uh, because there's a lot that just happened that we need to know. And so, uh, especially between this week and last week. So you may remember that Joseph was born in a large family. At the time, he was the youngest. Uh, He became his dad's favorite. And uh, as you might imagine, the rest of his brothers did not appreciate that. And uh, over the course of time, Joseph had these dreams that seemed to indicate uh, that one day all of his brothers would bow down to him, and so he made the incredibly unwise but characteristically youngest son decision to tell his older brothers this. They did not appreciate that, and eventually they, well, they were originally going to try to kill him. They ended up selling him into slavery instead, which I guess is technically better. He finds his way down to Egypt. He is uh, taken into Potiphar's house. Potiphar was the captain of the guard. And as it turns out, Joseph was a capable administrator. He kind of rose through the ranks, became like the number two guy. Potiphar's wife, however, had eyes for him and made some advances. He said no multiple times, but eventually she decided to frame him for, shall we say, improper behavior. And for his troubles, he is thrown in prison. While he is in prison, he gains the respect of the warden, kind of like a Shawshank Redemption sort of situation. Uh, but he meets a couple of people uh, while he's there from, Potter, or from Potiphar, from Pharaoh's court, the cupbearer and the baker. Uh, they both have dreams, once they arrive in prison and they, they don't understand what they mean. And so uh, they eventually make their way to Joseph. Joseph interprets them correctly. One gets his job back and the other is hanged. In the course of time, Pharaoh has some troubling dreams and he doesn't know what to do with them. And, and this cupbearer who was previously in prison says, there's a Hebrew slave locked up. He could interpret dreams. Let's see how he does. And so he gets called up, cleans himself up, and he correctly interprets these dreams. Uh, It meant that there were going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of severe famine. And famine in the ancient world, as we've said, is absolutely lethal. It not only kills people, it also kills empires. So are told to come and buy food. They heard that Egypt had food. And so they show up, and Joseph is there. He's the one managing everything. And his brothers are there. This was the subject of last week's reading. There's a line there. I didn't call much attention to it Um, early on when his brothers are there. It says, Joseph remembered the dreams that he had, And he was young. So it's kind of like this moment where he's like in charge and there are his brothers who are totally at his mercy. And it's like, oh, oh, that's now. Yeah, huh. All right, play it cool, Joseph. Um, Well, he doesn't, he sort of does. See, Joseph wants to know a couple of things. He wants to know if his father's still alive, and he wants to know if his younger brother, Benjamin, is still alive. And in fact, he obsesses over whether or not Benjamin is alive, and he actually tells his brothers, of course, they don't know that uh, that he's his brother, he says, do not come back without Benjamin. Now, that puzzled me. Uh, and and it wasn't until like this morning that i think i understand a little bit better why joseph was you know after all these years why joseph was so obsessed over benjamin that he and benjamin share the same mother and his his mother rachel she died while giving birth to benjamin so it's like benjamin is his only link to his mom they for many reasons would have been really close so in the back and forth, um, he eventually uh, takes into custody Simeon, one of the, his brothers, and he says, don't come back without Benjamin, thinking like, hey, we're the only people that have food around here, so you'll be back. Well, they, send, uh, they, they get sent off, and while his brothers, are with their food, uh, are, are returning to the land of Canaan... Um, they, I guess, stop at an inn, and they have to feed their donkeys. I don't know anything about donkeys, but apparently you feed them. And they open their, the food bag, and there's their money that they thought they paid for the food. And now they're afraid that they're going to get accused of something. Thankfully, they don't uh, yet. So they go off home. Eventually, they eat their food, and they're hungry again. And so they need to come back and buy food. And they say to their father, Jacob, or Israel, we can't go back without Benjamin. They will kill us. They think we are spies. So eventually Judah, one of the brothers, says to his dad, look, I will bear the responsibility for Benjamin. If anything happens to him, it is on me. So eventually he says, okay, fine. So they return. And Joseph apparently knows that they're coming. And he, prepares, he invites them to a feast that is prepared for them. Now, uh, of course, his brothers all have to eat at a separate table because, and it says in the, in the text that for Egyptians, it would be an abomination to eat with Hebrews, so some nice systemic racism there, I guess. Um, that doesn't seem right, but whatever. So Joseph is off eating over there. Um, his brothers, including Benjamin, are eating over here. And for some reason, Benjamin gets five times the amount of food of everybody else. And they, it's, the Bible says they had plenty to drink along to eat. Along with eating, it was a really good time. And you got to imagine like going through their heads like, what is happening here? So they eventually buy their food. And as they are leaving, Joseph, by his command, slips his um, silver cup, his special cup, into the bag that Benjamin's carrying. And then after they leave, he tells his guard, hey, they stole my cup, go get them. So they show up, not too far away, and it's Benjamin that is revealed to have the cup. They think he stole it. At least that's the accusation. You can imagine his brothers going, oh, no. This is, I mean, this is not only going to kill Benjamin. This is going to kill dad. Dad loves Benjamin. This is, this, this, is, this is the worst possible situation. And then... The brothers are ushered back by the guard. And when it's revealed that it's Benjamin that has the cup, Judah steps forward and says, okay, hold on, let me take the punishment. Let me go in his place because I made a promise to our father that he will be safe let me endure whatever it is coming my way, and please let him go free. And that's the moment when our reading begins. What Joseph just realized is that his brothers were different. These were not the same men that initially were going to kill him, but decided instead to sell him into slavery. They had changed. And Joseph weeps, he, he weeps. He, he cries so loud as it says that, that even the Egyptians heard it. Like in Hebrew, it's very, very emphatic. Like he gave his voice to weeping. This is not like a little teary, like give me a tissue. This is, this is ugly crying. This is the kind of, of response when something hits a pain point that is very, very deep. I mean, think about this from, from Joseph's perspective. His entire life, the entire course of his life, and a lot of that has been horrible, has been the result of his brother's decision. He has carried that with him for a very long time. He is cut off from his family, from his father, from his homeland. He's been in prison. He's had some serious ups and downs, and it was all their fault, 100%. He carried that with them. And now, through the course of events, he has overheard them talk about their sorrow over what they did for him. And he has seen the fact that they have changed on a fundamental level. And it breaks him. It absolutely crushes him. Why? Well, I I think the best explanation is that it's because he now has to rethink everything. Healing can be traumatic because he had been carrying this moment, this hor- these, these horrible things that have happened to him as a result of his brothers, and now he can't hold that against them anymore. They're different, they've changed. So what do you do with that? Uh, we, most everybody here anyway, is old enough to have been hurt deeply by people. And we've carried that around. What would happen if that person, that, those people, whatever, showed up at your door, gave you a call, texted you or whatever, And they made good on that. They took it, they took responsibility, they've given ample evidence that they have changed. Now you don't have to carry that around anymore. What what would that do? Uh, it, It would be freeing, it could be very healing, it would also be really hard. That's where Joseph is right now. Now, as we are towards the end of Lent, the longest Lent of my life and career, <laughs> uh, uh, we, we, we are now starting to look very carefully at kind of the last moments of Jesus' life. Um, the moments when he goes to his death. And uh, th- there, there's a parallel there. I know sometimes we, we like to say, well, uh, Judah was was, by taking the punishment for Benjamin, he was like Jesus. That's true. But I want to take this a different way. Because for Joseph, he now had to rethink everything. And now for us, as we are looking at Jesus going to his death for us, ideally, we have to rethink everything. But it's harder than I think we sometimes like to admit. Because as human beings, we tend to like to have some control. And to accept a gift freely, especially a big gift, can be pretty hard. It takes away a little bit of that illusion that we have control over ourselves and our lives. Like, we will will often say something like, yes, God has forgiven us because of Jesus. The divine and just wrath of God has fallen on Jesus' shoulders. What we deserve has fallen on Jesus, and instead we get to go free to live and serve in his kingdom. Uh, We, our sins are forgiven, and now I will reorient my life to what God wants. My uh, sin is forgiven, and these habits or these ways of being in my life that have kind of grown and become really destructive, well, I'm gonna put those away. Or yes, I am forgiven, but I really, really wanna work harder at being a better Christian, or something like that. We don't like, in general, to just be forgiven. Because it comes entirely from God. And we have no control over it. And things that we can't earn, we cannot control. In an obscure writing by uh, uh, Martin Luther... Uh, he, He said, consider your best work to be your most mortal sin. In other words, the best that you have to offer is the thing that condemns you. That can be really scary and depressing, or it can be very, very freeing. If the best that I have to offer God is so bad that it separates me from him forever then the fact that he has me and has redeemed me and brought me into his family means that it is entirely on him. That I have nothing to say for that. It's not based on my behavior. It's not based on my ability to be a good Christian. It's not based on anything I can earn. It's not based on the best that I have to offer you and everybody else. It's all because everything, fell on Jesus. And like with Joseph, he now suddenly has to endure that trauma of rethinking his entire life and letting go and finding healing and living in a very different direction than he previously had thought. The gospel of Lent or the gospel that we find at the end of our journey through the crucifixion and out of an empty tomb is exactly that same kind of force. We now are presented with this terrifying reality that God loves us, God has forgiven us, God has wiped our slate clean, God welcomes us, God loves us unconditionally, he accepts us, He likes us. He wants us to be near him at all times. And it has nothing to do with what we offer him. So, as we now have come to the end of our midweek Lenten journey, we are left, like Joseph, with this uncomfortable reality that everything has changed that the wrath of God falls on Jesus' shoulders, we are loved and accepted and forgiven and offered mercy unconditionally, and we have nothing to say for it because it is God's gift. Amen. Please rise.